It's time for First Voices Radio with Tilkison Ghost Horse. Please stay tuned. What makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Chasha. Ambete waštelo tajan vačianke chante vašte na pechu zapielo le chante etaha vogalake le unkipiki hewaštelo ambetu kile vaštekite greetings and good day and welcome my relatives i shake your hands with a good heart this is a voice from earth it's good for all of us to be here and today will be a good day oyataki wanaki tapo wake up now relations and you are listening to First Voices Radio and Teokas and Ghost are sending you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Asopus in the lands of the Muncie-speaking Lenape. This is an all-native hosted, all-native produced First Voices Radio, and Liz Hill from the Red Lake Ojibwe Nation is a producer of First Voices Radio. You can hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprouts, Spotify, as well as First Voices Indigenous Radio.org for archive, downloading, and listing. This interview with Chastity Salvador, a young Akama farmer and traditional seed keeper, will also be available as she goes through the webinar, which we will talk about during this interview that happened September 15th, 2023, called Collective Healing, Plant Medicine Allies to Support Long COVID Survivors and Collective Grief Now and Into the Future. And that webinar will be available at niwrc.org. So you get two for one. And now to the interview with Chastity Salvador. Chastity Salvador is a young farmer and traditional seed keeper growing food and seed for her family and community. She's a full spectrum doula, indigenous breastfeeding counselor and a birth keeper providing birth work services to her community. Chastity is a scholar, writer, and organizer on Pueblo women in agriculture and indigenous food and seed sovereignty. She's a poet that tells a story on how all of these lines of work contribute to the well-being and healing of Pueblo women and children from the impacts of ongoing settler colonialism, unsettling capitalism, the medical industrial complex, and the environmental destruction and injustice from extractive projects 
that occur near and on our homeland of, of Acoma, Pueblo. Chastity's latest line of work has been helping Pueblo communities navigate the climate crisis, general food and seed sovereignty awareness among her Pueblo, and restoring and working with medicinal plant knowledge in the Acoma Pueblo for her birth work, clients, families, and community members with chronic illnesses and conditions. She's a graduate of Stanford University, where she completed her Bachelor's of Arts in Comparative Studies in Race and Ethnicity. In her free time, she likes to teach her nieces and nephews how to farm and save seed, write poetry and fiction, make medicine for a community, and complete her creative writing projects, including her book of essays and poetry. I'd like to welcome you to First Voices Radio, Chastity Salvador. Welcome. It's an honor to be with you. Thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, Chastity, it, I just said that your bio is, is very alive and full. So I'm going to start from the beginning. As a young farmer, a traditional seed keeper, what does that mean for many people of our audience, native and non-native alike? Maybe they don't know what that really means. Is that an heirloom keeper of seeds or what does that mean to keep seeds traditionally? Yeah, um, it means many things. I think the it's um, almost a role that I feel like I have fell into and realized the importance of it later on. So I have many heirloom seeds from my community from farmers who have been planting these seeds for many, many, many years. And I think that the what it means to be a seed keeper and a farmer is to really generate those ancestral and heirloom seeds that have been growing here in our community for so long that have seen the differences of climate that have grown in really harsh conditions that have grown with little to no water, I think that um, that's one of the main reasons that I have been farming is to really save the seed. And so each year um, in the past, I would say three years, I've had a seed garden um, where, you know, it doesn't, it will produce a lot of, you know, vegetables and things, things to eat, but it's mostly for the seed to generate more seed to give out to community the next year or to save for future generations. And so I think that's sort of what it means to be a a young farmer and young seed keeper is that, you know, at one point I got trusted with all of these (laughs) seeds of our community and other Pueblo communities and really took that responsibility seriously because we are, you know, agricultural people here in the Southwest in the Pueblo communities. And I think that we're only as strong as our, our seeds are. Um, in terms of resiliency and their ability to grow, and also in terms of population. So the more that we have our heirloom seeds in our hands and, you know, not so much in seed banks or, or places that store seed, I think that seed are, are most welcomed and most, um, their home is really within, within us and our families and the people that do farm every year or do grow, you know, our seeds every year. So that's sort of how I understand that role is to continue them. And I think seeds aren't meant to be stored away. They're not meant to be somewhere in a closet or somewhere in a bank. They're meant to be grown. Um, And that's how we keep a lot of our stories alive of our people and our foods that have fed us for so long. And so 
that's part of um, of the process and the role of seed keeping. So I hope that answers the question. Thank you, Chastity. But it's also a continuing curiosity of mine is in a lot of Native people's languages, is there a word for agriculture? Because the way you described it, it's a continuing thing that happened before the definition of agriculture came along. Yeah, I use agriculture in my bio. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why. I think I was sort of trying to um, communicate that, you know, I'm a part of other Pueblo um, farmers and especially women farmers who focus, you know, not only on just growing food and growing seed, but focus on ways that we understand you know, our collective and our community ways of cooking and community ways of cleaning seeds and community ways of harvesting and all these ways that, you know, have sort of become not lost, but have become dormant and not are not as strong as they used to be. And so when I say that, you know, we are working towards, we're working in, in the field of agriculture, I, I don't mean it in the sense that, you know, we're growing masses amounts of corn or masses amounts of, of beans or you know it's more of a um, connection back to to who we were and who we are as a collective community as I, i'm not sure if you've ever been to to the pueblos but we're very very close <laughs> we're very um you know we live together and we used to do a lot of our of our harvesting and a lot of our planting together and so I would say that it's it's more than just agriculture. It's sort of a connection back to our life way and who we were. And, you know, in, in my community and a lot of other Pueblo communities, we see, you know, the the corn as I corn mother, you know, we were born from 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 her. And so it's a lot around creating our connection back to to our ancestors and also like our ancestral way of living in our ancestral way of knowing. I would just say that agriculture is not encompassing to to all all of it, to all the work that we do. Exactly what I was I was thinking that you would answer. I'm not too sure. I'm not a, a fortune teller or anything, but I kind of intuited that you'd say it that way. Even the, the idea of seed sovereignty, part of that language that we're using, it has to do with the settler colonialism and understanding the differences between, as you just explained, between agriculture and the Pueblo way of, of being with the seeds and with the earth and the food and the community, all of that combined as traditional. So I'm, I'm going to ask you, what would you say is you are a full spectrum Pueblo woman who is actually not just seeding the ground with with plants and you know food and whatnot, but also seeding your family in the case, in this case, I would say through a full spectrum doula. I don't see a separation between full spectrum doula as to when you're actually birthing food in that way of planting, <laughs> planting and, and harvesting. Right. Yeah, there there is a strong connection there and I think that it's it's interesting because you know my journey started with the seeds and started um I started growing food with my father when I was in college and really learning the story about 
our water system here, our our irrigation system here. And um, there's a lot of moments that I had while we were planting and while we were irrigating. And throughout the season, um, you know, my father would tell me stories about how our our even just like our irrigation system is a is a feminine spirit um and ways to really respect that and pray to that and ask her her being for for guidance and also for abundance and water and um and i think during that time it was you know an interesting space for me to be in to understand how we truly take care of ourselves as women and take care of each other and ways that we are um, valued in our community and as being caretakers of plants, of seeds, of food, of our communities, um, and also recognizing that there was an imbalance of that. You know, there's a lot of violence um, and injustice towards the the women and in our communities. And so sort of sitting with that, that dichotomy and sitting with that imbalance really moved me to um, dig deeper into how we reconnect and how we understand our healing as people to be be one in which our women are valued and, and our children are valued. And so I would say that my farming journey, the planting of seed journey had led me into my my work as a as a doula and as a birth worker um, and seeing how you know our our most valuable, things in our community are our seeds and women take care of our seeds. You know, we, we do the process and we cook them and we sing to them and we have all these traditions around our seeds. And so my thought was like, okay, if we want to protect our seeds, then we also have to protect our women or the other way around um, and our children. And so that's how I got into that journey. And so that's the connection there and it becomes full spectrum um, now in my practice as a birth worker is that I'll cook a lot of um, foods that have a lot of the nutritional um, content for a person experiencing you know pregnancy and their prenatal time and their postnatal time and a lot of that knowledge of how we used to take care of you know, pregnant people, um, people who are giving birth um, really come out when we start cooking some of those traditional recipes and those traditional foods. And so I see that connection sort of like coming coming um, full spectrum or full circle now, full circle is the word. Um, and it's just, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be able to be someone who can grow what you know, a family who is who's looking to expand their family or going through the whole process of their, you know, reproductive choices and supporting them that with with their food and their ancestral foods. And so, yeah, I would I would say that's the connection there. That's a great relationship you just described. And I'm, I'm looking at how the scholar you're describing that that process and then a writer and actually poetry is what I'm reading here. And how you provided that, it just very morphing from, it, it's all, you're not leaving anything out. Could you explain, because you, um, you said something unsettling capitalism, that seems to be a yoke that we haven't identified as well yet. And how do we unsettle capitalism when it comes to 
yes, the colonialism, the ongoing settler colonialism, but do we reach out and really see how far we've come? Can we unsettle capitalism? I think the way that it's it's written in my bio again I'm I'm a poet so I yes, <laughs> I like yes. to I, I just write what's in my mind and my heart but what I what I meant by unsettling capital, capitalism is that capitalism in itself and in, in our communities is um the one of the biggest threats that we face and I think that it really heightened and showed its face during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic and ways that we were unable to practice a lot of our ways of care to those most vulnerable, our elders, our women, our children. You know, I think there was a moment where we had to very much quickly uh, put on our boots and go back to work. And there was still a lot of, um, I think, collective trauma and grief that we were experiencing as communities, you know, with people developing chronic illnesses from COVID, people, you know, dying from COVID and our whole families changing um, in dynamic and numbers and everything because of the pandemic and how we had to just kind of swallow that and continue on. When I say unsettling capitalism is that it's capitalism has always been a thread in my life that I have have really thought deeply about and have thought of ways to create a system and an economy of care, an economy that is defined by own my own ideas of, you know, when I when I grow something, I, I trade it with people or, you know, sometimes with my birth work, um, you know, I'll offer birth work services and then people will will um, give me gifts or they'll give me gifts of food or they'll give me gifts of plants that I need to make my medicines. And so it's all like an exchange that is not reliant on the dollar. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that are, you know, that you need to buy, but it's really, I would say that helping folks understand how much abundance we live in as as indigenous people as pueblo people that are in proximity to our our land our water our seeds that really tuning into that abundance that those all provide the the gifts of the creator i would say i help people on that journey of realizing that they have everything that they need and that um to help them figure out ways that they can have a life and lead a life that is as healthy and abundant um, with what we have. Um, and that is not so much dependent on ways that capitalism makes us feel dependent on it, dependent on, on the dollar. And so really creating that consciousness and awareness in, in my community. And I would say that the seeds and the plants teach us a lot about what that network looks like and how strong, we are as as people with our seeds and our plants and our home and our water that has nothing to do with <laughs> making money. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, uh, so, yeah, that's that's how I would describe it. Nice. Very, very nice. Thank you for that. It leads me into this next, next thought. You mentioned collective trauma as peoples. And, you know, I could spread that out into the, the greater country at large, the people at large, all peoples. And what I've been thinking, I just recently came from a conference up in Burlington, Vermont, and I saw what was this biophobic language and collective trauma 
was part of what I was saying I mean, when I was talking to people there. The collective trauma is really the separation from Earth. That's what allowed biophobic language to, to come into play. And yet a lot of indigenous peoples living in both worlds have part of that collective trauma from being separated from Earth, but also our people as a whole forgetting our ways. And so we're kind of like a double whammy, so to speak. Um, I don't know if you could see it the same way as I do, but I think your work would really clarify uh, a lot of people's thoughts who are just beginning to think this way, that maybe it's the language we're speaking, and maybe we can look at trauma a little differently. I think we need that language, or at least to, to look at that, that narrative that's been given to us through capitalism and through colonialism. Your thoughts? Yeah, that's a big question. <laughs> it's a big question that I, I think about. Um, and I think that the way that I understand my answer to that question is that this past summer, I hosted um, some plant plant ally walks here in my community. And um, because I am on this you know, journey and, and I'm a young person and I, I, I study, but you know, I'm, I don't have all the life experience, but part of my journey is with plant allies and medicine, plant medicine is that part of the journey is recognizing and, and talking about the barriers that we have when it comes to understanding really ancestral and quote unquote traditional and just really deep knowledge that is so needed in our communities that certain knowledge keepers have and sort of riding that wave of creating medicine in the kitchen, but also learning those, I would say sacred, sacred knowledge that, you know, certain people have and, and respecting that process of which, you know, sometimes that knowledge is not you know, doesn't necessarily belong to me or doesn't necessarily belong, you know, to mass amount of people. Um, some of it is is meant to be where it is. And also understanding that, you know, we're able to connect to one plant. We're, we're able to connect to one seed. We're able to connect to one thing that we see out there as we're taking a walk or as we're going for a run or one thing that, you know, for folks who are aren't in their homelands that reminds them of home that grows in their home and then folks who you know who we are in our homelands that you know reminds them of ways that their grandma used to use you know this plant to boil it to clean our house or boil it as a tea when we were experiencing this and so I would say that part of the work is to help folks connect back to their plant relatives and whether that's through a medicinal plant or through a seed a food you know something that's cooked for them that's that's the journey to really um i would say like ignite ignite a fire with them them to be on their own journeys to recognizing or learning about where they what their lands what plants their lands hold and what what seeds their, their lands grow. I'm not sure if that answers the question, but I think it's it's around, you know, when we start to address trauma and collective trauma, it's also about 
not just you know what has happened and what has happened in colonization you know the different waves of colonization but also how all of that has created us to become disconnected to who we are to um, our families and our, our our ancestors our homelands and how that feels in our bodies how that makes us feel mentally emotionally how that influences our ungroundedness and part of the work i think is to guide folks especially young people to recognize how um, held they are by their community and how held they are by their homelands and their seeds and their water and so yeah i would say that that one part of it <laughs> and so and, and another part is having you know just those honest conversations about what trauma is and what truly you know, young people or folks who are experiencing trauma have experienced and how we let that out into our community and address it as a community. And part of it is working with plants, but part of it is also working with that grief and what has truly happened to each other and our people um, and starting from there. So so yeah, that's and then uh, and then the poetry comes comes in for me because sometimes it's a lot and it's confusing. But then the poetry has especially for me has helped me understand like has helped me get a hold of all of it. And um I think poetry is a good outlet to for folks to really understand that that deep journey that they will embark on when addressing their trauma and and grief. That is a bigger avenue for people to walk down and walk with other people who are experiencing the, the educative process of the West without losing the wisdom of who we are, our knowledge or intelligence as indigenous folks here. And I'm speaking with Chastity Salvador, who's a young farmer and traditional seed keeper of the Acoma Pueblo. And we'll get right back to you the second half of that interview here on First Voices Radio. My name is Teokas and Ghost Horse.
welcome back to First Voices Radio. My name is Tiokasen Ghost Horse. Now back to our second half of our interview. Thanks for joining us. I'm speaking with Chastity Salvador, who's a young farmer and traditional seed keeper of the Acoma Pueblo. And it's mesmerizing and the metaphors you're using. It's really bringing me back to this. My grandfather and my grandmother and my father and my mother it was always speaking about nature without even having a word, but always including nature as a first person. Like you cannot get away from being in the present moment. And mm -hmm. that's what I'm feeling that you're saying also when you're making medicine for the community. You're, you're creating your writing and your, your essays and your poetry, but also the restore, restoration and you're working with these medicine plants with the, the knowledge and acknowledgement and recognition that they do come from someplace, but where are they going if they're not going to be in the present? I think this, the seed consciousness that you have is part of that medicine to really look at maybe the environmental destruction, not only on the land, with the land, but in our bodies also, as you described. Yeah, yeah, I think. I mean, I, I could go into detail about, you know, what has happened in the environmental destruction of what has happened in our lands. Um, you know, we in Acoma, there was, you know, our our sacred mountain to the north, at, which I'm looking at right now is um, Mount Taylor. And, you know, there was mining there in the 80s. And there's been a lot of wastewater and, and just wastewater spillage um in our irrigation system there's there's just a lot of projects for development and a lot of projects for for money and also a lot of fossil fuel industry projects just all over where we are um and and Acoma is on the southwest part of new mexico and you know the pueblo sort of go north northwest from from Acoma. and so you know up there you have the Los Alamos National Laboratory, where, you know, they're making all kinds of <laughs> explosions and putting a lot of toxins in the water and making farming and agriculture really difficult for our relatives up north. And the Rio Grande runs through most of the middle pueblos, and that's where, you know, they use a lot of that water for their irrigation, for watering their crops, and that, that river is running dry. It's running dry because of climate, our climate crisis. And so when we're experiencing, when we're planting our seeds, when we are, you know, doing that work of um, restoring and healing our, our, our people and ourselves with our food and our seeds and our plants, there's also this deep grief and this deep trauma that we're experiencing as we see our homelands go up in flames a lot and as we're seeing our water sometimes be slightly there for us as we're seeing hailstorms as we're seeing all these different changes to our climate and so um i think that what when it with the poetry what it does for me and and how i write about it and how i write about what i'm experiencing out there in terms of you know because i'm i'm out there <laughs> with the land every day it's 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 carrying a lot so i 
it's carrying a lot of that grief and carrying a lot of that grief for our home and how much it is changing and how much it's threatened by all these different environmental destructions and environmental imbalances. And so I think that part of the work and part of what I do is as I, I'll sit there and I'll listen to uh, my grandfather, I listen to other elders talk about ways that they've seen that climate change impacts on their crops and their seeds. And really, um, I, I feel a lot of that. I feel a lot of that grief. And, you know, I think about what does that mean for the future? <laughs> you know, how, how, are, how is our farming going to change? Because it's already changed so much. Um, and so I think that uh, with the poetry, I, I remember last season in April, there was a high, high winds. And it was so high. Um, and I remember I went for a small uh, walk up one of the mesas um, where you can see like a whole valley of lava, lava rocks where our lava flows, um, which is one of the boundaries of Akama. Um, and I remember standing there and feeling just how strong the wind was. And I wrote a poem about it. And I wrote about how I felt very much how this windstorm was connected to how our people are feeling this massive amount of change and illness created by environmental destructions and how, you know, how we've navigated also the illness of COVID, the illnesses of mass debilitating events in our communities um, and how a lot of that is wind circulating in our bodies and is, is, um, illnesses circulating in our bodies and and how then that creates the phenomena of us turning to you know whether it's substances or whether it's violence or whether it's you know ways that things that we do because we are so imbalanced and sickened by you know what our homelands is going through um and so i remember writing that poem and it was sort of like a a beginning to how I put together this collective grief and collective illness and trauma and um, ways to really be in solidarity with our crisis, our water crisis and our climate crisis and be in solidarity with our home, our homelands and our plants. And so sort of what I, what I do and how the work drives itself. The heart of the whole thing is that you are experiencing and telling us through these words that were available to us now, the expression of the land, the expression of your people, the Akama Pueblo, and expression of indigenous peoples. And the reason why I wanted to talk to you was because of this this um, sem- webinar that you're giving, which by the time this, this First Voices uh, broadcast will be over with. So it was called um, Collective Healing. It is called Collective Healing plant medicine allies to support long COVID survivors and collective grief now and into the future, which is part of the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center in Lame Deer, Montana, that's helping us reach out to you, Chastity, and that's why you're here on First Voices. And I think part of this understanding um, that you you mentioned was how are we dealing with this grief how, now and how will we do it? deal with it into the future and you provided us with some knowledge that we cannot let our knowledge of who we are traditionally or otherwise be excluded from the whole 
I'm really um, commending you on on being able to lead people in this area and and um, bring your experience. You say you don't. It sounds like you have eons of ancestral knowledge that you brought with you. So it's not your age. It's your already inherent knowledge of who you are through your grandparents, through your walking that path to your sacred mountain. But I want to commend you on that. Really thank you for being here with us. I wish I could see that poem or read it. That would be something. <laughs> yeah, I, I could read it if you have time. That would be awesome. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, I'll will, I'll will end my interview with that. Um, okay. okay. And then, yeah, and then I'll have some time. The webinar, the next webinar is in two hours, so I'll have some time to yes. prepare. Let me Great. just give me a moment to pull, mm -hmm. pull up the poem. And for reminders out there, you can visit niwrc.org for more information and look what Chastity Salvador and the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center is up to and is doing currently and reaching out to all you who are listening to First Voices Radio right now. And Chastity, thank you for citing your reciting your, your poem that I wanted to hear. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the, the poem is titled, um, The Wind is the Face of Our Changing Climate. How do we begin to map our bodies and how far back? Back to the times when we were slower, back to the times when we were probably faster, back to the times when we were shorter, back to the times when we were darker, aging with the sun. And the wind's only job was to wash away our grief-planted tears, like corn pollen flying at 5 a.m., creating a tapestry of a time when there was a windbreak here. The buildings of pear and apricot and apple trees stood marvelously in the wind's way, constructed by the baked hands of our grandfathers, so tired the veins on their hands looked like mountain ranges, and wrinkles hung on their eyes like Christmas lights in the backyard. If only I could see the horizons, I hear that they took with them when they passed on, knowledge about damming up the top of terrace gardens on top of the mesas, with a stack of clay and a stack of rocks. I wonder how much moisture we had to live in with such abundance. Back to the times when our snow caved in our feet, our toes crunched away at an endless time. Joy in the arcs of each toe was a snow bean, cracking each snowflake into a slow rain in April. This flashback comes to me as I watch my cracked toes stepping on a mountain of yellow beans. And I think to myself, not many orchards exist anymore, and if they do, it's a consorted effort in backyards of buildings that act now as our windbreak. We pay for water now. What water? I ask for myself, as we are unsure as the climate is screaming out for help as we dedicate our entire lives to making sure the livestock have more water than we do. Water by the tons, I think to myself. When do we learn to treat our Earth Mother the same way? Notice that she is needing a ton of water before she collapses into an earth-shattering event like wind-carried illnesses. They say if you don't use your voice, wind gets caught in the side of your neck right below your ear in your jawline. It takes years to massage and detox 
these toxins out from the river of the bloodstream to the mycelia of the neck tissue and finally out of the biggest organ of our body, our skin. So our people, we have strep throat and 24-hour bugs and weak gallbladders and weak livers and weak immunity to all that this wind circulates on our skins, our hearts that keep us alive. Yet they are the most vulnerable parts of ourselves. Maybe that is how we are spirit people first, as the elders say. I wonder how many windstorms fill up the throats of the many women and children and femme and two-spirit and trans relatives and anyone who does not serve the patriarchy because many of our stories go unspoken. Many of our experiences stay written on these pages. Where does deep healing begin when we cannot pinpoint where the trauma lives lavishly in our bodies? A desensitized coping mechanism to all the ways we've had our bodily boundaries crossed and the many unwelcome ways we've been hurt and that we have been touched where does deep healing begin when we cannot pinpoint where the wind came from how do we begin to heal i wonder until my mind is filled up to the top and i creep cry out of loneliness in this deserted palace we call our home the home that everyone forgot except for climate change climate change didn't forget about us then i am soothed by a lover by whom is a grandmother that of which is a sky filled with clouds that only hug the sun by the hour they call those sun breaks like a daily ritual of strong coffee. Never the days when clouds fill the sky, causing a gray, impeding doom to fill up my chest. Now I am the greedy one. Now I need to learn about gratitude, that not all days can be a drizzle rain with cedar and clay, sand aroma in the air. Some days it needs to be blazing hot like this in a chaotic windstorm that almost pushes me off this cliff in April. That is just Earth Mother doing her job in this scorching ecosystem we call Earth Care. We didn't care. Most of us don't. Be grateful, I tell myself, to see another day, even if you are in pain. I shouldn't be standing near cliffs like this anyway. I am not a cedar tree or even a yucca plant. None of us are. We are only human. I cannot catch myself in the slope. I cannot look tall after being pushed off this emotional cliff. I cannot break my own fall. None of us can. That is our ego talking, that we don't need these rocks that are our fathers, our brothers, our sisters, our lovers, our ego saying that we can live this life all alone because we can't. That's when we learn how to take, 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 and take. Our Pueblo values would be mad at us because our Pueblo consciousness teaches us that we were born luckily on this earth side to be together forever. So how do we stop these winds then, both in our communities and in our heartstrings that hold on to the edge of this cliff, like spider webs clouding our visions to see the dwellings that hold the stories of the pumpkin people, the ancient ones who built small homes on this slope and terraced the water to feed entire communities with love. And as I sit here with the sun kissing my face, the wind hugging my ears, I wonder if this is how we stop the wind. I could listen to that medicine forever, Chastity, and such an honor to be in the medicine you bring to these airways of first voices and it's incredible. Thank you so much and 
that said it all. We didn't have to do the other part of the interview. We just needed to read that. <laughs> I thought that was so good. Wow. So how can people get a hold of you even to get a copy of that? Or they, how, how do they contact you if you want that? Um, I, I'm on social media. I'm still, I get so busy with, you know, with farming and everything that I, I, people are like, create a website so folks can reach out to you, but it's hard to do that. Um, but I'm, I'm on social media. Um, you could just look at my name, Chastity Salvador, um, or uh, by email is my email is salvadorchastity2 at gmail.com. Um, yeah, but I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Um, usually I come up as a poet or as a farmer. Yeah, you'll, you'll find me. <laughs> oh, this is so great. Thank you. Yeah, I'd like to give thanks to your friends. Now our friends, Lucy Rain Simpson and Markel Musgrave. <laughs> at yeah, the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center in Lame Deer, Montana, for helping you to reach out to us and, and you know, invited you here with these great words and feeling through the words that you use. And thank you again. It's just an honor to have you with us, Chastity Salvador. Thank you so much for having me today, and I hope you all have a beautiful day. We will. And, and that's just the way it is. You're, you're good for what you do. And thank you again. And this is Teokazen Ghost Horse. And thanks to Chastity Salvador for being with us and the poetry and the medicine and the knowledge of the plants and the Hakama Pueblo and Indigenous peoples, Grandmother Earth and all the beauty that she brings. Again, an honor, Chastity Salvador. Thank you.
that was the late, great Joanne Shenandoah with the Prophecy Song, right here on First Voices Radio. First Voices Radio, Wopilatanka. We appreciate you all for listening. And and we don't have a word for goodbye in Lakota. But we do say this, meaning I'll see you again eventually, but surely. My name is Teokasan Ghost Horse. You have been listening to First Voices Radio, and we're going to go out with one of our favorites, one of my favorites, I'm pretty sure one of Liz's favorites, the producer here at First Voices Radio. I think for the last 12 years, 11 years, it's a long time. But thank you, Liz, and one of the favorites, Star People by Indian City, Code Red, written by Vince Fontaine and Chris Burke Gaffney. 2021 We're on the road we're leaving now gonna find the place they call tomorrow tomorrow it's the place we dreamed about if we go there ain't no doubt they'll follow Far I realize there's so much more to this life This life And I believe in you And if you believe in me We're there by daylight oh. Take me to the stars We can never go too far Too far Take me to the stars Let's find out who we are Who we are I wrote a song with you in mind We can pass the past with you in mind For right now mm, Right now I had a dream of you and I Seven sacred teachings Show us why and show us how Show us how So Mother Earth, she's asking what she's really worth. She's crying. Take me to the stars. We can never go too far. Yeah, take me to the stars. Let's find out who we are. Who we are.
let's finish this i'm sick of this calling yourself indigenous don't even know the differences between eagles and pigeons kid lying about who you are thriving off of who you know captain lou albino got me rhyming in the studio something missing from your claims and that's apparent there's more native dna in the tracks you sharing if it wasn't for collabs bringing natives to the lab i can't even count the times you cross the line like a scab let's go then dudes real newfie with the accent talking about that land back we'll give it back then son how's your melanin i burn anglo-saxons if you ain't down to fist fight let's settle it on wax then senior citizens out in halapu wasn't on my radar till you showed up giving attitude paperwork show pics of your kakomis i'll show you all my college diplomas they ain't real the notion ain't no about the struggle every single native rapper in your bubble here's plex clearing up any confusion he fooled a couple dummies now he thinks we're all stupid And I'm a beast when needed I was whitey still native when I don't believe him Self-appointed judge and jury Ain't nobody need to worry But I better see proof And you better hurry Bringing up the scoop though Like it's some sort of loophole Really goes to show how low these people stoop though Sitting here wondering what would Buffy do You're taking up our spaces and we've had enough of you It's red flag 